Hey everyone, and welcome to the Cult Spark Podcast. Nothing but Star Wars in this episode. Uh, my name is Bob Taylor. I'm joined, as always, by Stu Smith. Stu, we're we're, we're thinking this is going to be a mini cast, but when me and you get rolling on Star Wars, maybe we'll go an hour. We'll we'll see what happens, right? <laughs> but regardless, this is our The Force Awakens episode. That's all we're talking. It is going to be spoiler heavy. So if for some reason you haven't seen the movie yet, pause this, save it, go see the film. Come back, hit play, and we'll all have a good time. Stu. I can't, I can't imagine why anyone who is spoiler-phobic would be listening to this before watching the I, movie. I can't imagine, but I just... I don't want death threats, man. you you got, you got to just I make suppose. sure. I can't imagine... See, hasn't everybody seen it already? I mean, I remember before the film came out, we were talking like, well, how long is the, how long is the moratorium on spoilers? Do you have to wait the weekend? Do you have to wait a full week? And I just feel like everyone's seen it now, or they should have. Well, it's kind of crazy because, like, you know, some of my friends who are huge nerds, lifelong Star Wars fans, uh, you know, I mean, they just simply weren't able to go see it until, like, today. You're so, right. you know, it's just it, – plus, I mean, with with shows that have been selling out constantly, I mean, it's it's actually a little challenging. Well, I saw it – that's true. I saw it for the second time today. We're recording this on Monday. I saw it for the second time today. Theater was about – there were a decent amount of people there for early Monday. I saw it at noon, and the theater was about half filled, somewhere between a third and a half filled. Which yeah, is pretty strong for a Monday at noon showing. I saw it. I saw it opening night Thursday, and then I actually went again uh, the next morning to like the ten thirty show, and that uh, that auditorium uh, was almost filled i mean it, w- it wasn't a sold out show but it was pretty close to it yeah I mean, it's crazy business long lines boisterous crowds the whole deal it's great so um Stu and i both have reviews up print reviews up they're up at cultspark.com if you're interested go read them i don't want to spend the whole episode going over the stuff we already talked about in our print reviews we may touch on some of it but hopefully we're going to give you some new material tonight if you have read those already. Um, Stu, I thought I'd start and talk about how I felt after my second viewing today, if that's all right. No, go for it. So I, second viewing today, and my opinion didn't change a lot. It, if anything, it just crystallized. And basically, I think the first half of it is a perfect popcorn film. I basically think the first half of The Force Awakens is as good as... As anything you'll find, you know, in Guardians of the Galaxy or Mad Max Fury Road or any major universally adored blockbuster from the last five or so years, I think The Force Awakens is right there in its first half. The second half is where I start to run into some problems that knock the film down from being, you know, this amazing, flawless experience to just being a really damn good Star Wars movie. Or a mostly successful Star Wars movie. And again, I don't want to get into it too much. Uh, some of my problems, you know, the one that everyone's talking about is how much it's basically just a retread of A New Hope. That Starkiller base is just kind of a lame stand-in for the Death Star, which I agree with. And I also feel like Kylo Ren's backstory is kept a little too vague and the repercussions of him turning evil are dealt with a little too matter-of-factly for it to pay off enough emotionally when he kills his father, Han Solo, on that bridge. And I think those two things deflate the second half of the movie a little bit for me. Not enough to kill it, 
And there's two reasons. For each of those things I've complained about, there's a reason that it's not enough to kill it. For one, not a lot of times given the start the Star Killer base assault. I didn't. I don't have a. I wasn't counting it on a wristwatch or anything. But don't you feel like the amount of seconds and moments spent on that are just far less than what's spent on the Death Star runs in Star Wars and Return of the Jedi? Yeah, it's definitely. It's it's really kind of a lot more matter of fact. Yes. In a way, like it's just okay. Here's this thing. We're gonna go blow it up. And you don't really ever get the sense, and and you kind of get the you you kind of get the feeling that JJ knows that we know right. that that you know the resistance isn't going to not blow this thing up. Right. It's like it's you not know? it's not terribly exciting or dramatic, but it's it's almost if he's saying you know what we understand that so we're only going to spend X amount of time on this and no more than we really need to. Right. So it doesn't and, it doesn't really bring down the pacing too much or anything. Right, exactly. Uh and and that's what keeps it you know from feeling like a complete retread uh, cuz you're not just you're not just going through the same motions beat for beat that you did with Death Star 1 or even Death Star 2. And then my complaints with how Ren is handled are mostly salvaged by Adam Driver's performance, which is fantastic. He gives outside of Harrison Ford, he probably gives the best performance in this film, I think, especially for how much how much weight he carries and for how much mileage he gets out of that character. And, and it's weird because his whole personal journey in the movie kind of builds up to him and Han on that bridge. But I actually like his stuff after that with Ray better, I think. If I, if I were asked what are the highlights of, of Driver's performance and of Kylo Ren in this movie, it's the stuff in the lightsaber fight with Ray toward the end. Yeah, I mean that. I think that's definitely some of the strongest stuff. I don't know. I don't know how well that that would have worked had there not been the moment with Han preceding that, though. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it it, it it all. I mean, it, everything about his character, every moment builds off of the previous one in a in a really uh, in a really well constructed way. I think. In theory and in concept, I think everything's fine. I'm fine with with Kylo Ren being the son of Han and Leia. I'm fine with him being sort of this conflicted individual between the light and the dark who ends up on this bridge with his old man and has to make a decision one way or the other. And in theory, I think the structure is fine for the film. I just, it doesn't sell me on it as good as I would have liked it to. Well, you know, it, this is kind of one of those things where it, it, it's a testament to how good the movie is just on you know, on its own. Uh, and how how well pretty much everybody nails more or less what they set out to do that you know that we do have these relatively minor complaints because I mean this you know what's there isn't in the broad strokes poorly done no you know I am totally uh, fine with all broad you know with the with the major know, beats of the movie the major beats of the movie seem like well the, thought out and appropriate and they work. Right. I mean, pretty much any complaint that I have is something that it's like, okay, well, let's really kind of get into this. Like anything that has to do with the specifics of the resistance and the Republic and, you know, it's like, hey, look, an entire system of planets and system of government was annihilated. Let's not talk about that ever. Yeah. You know, how, how stuff like that just literally gets swept away. You know, or how there's no real the, moment between Leia and Chewie at the end. Oh, uh, I, you know what? I wasn't even going to mention this till later in the show, but one of my biggest pet peeves about this movie 
is that Chewie should be the one who hugs Leia at the end and not Rey. Oh, they can they can both hug. Let her now, hug both. Rey's only you known know? Han Solo for like a handful of days and really has nothing to do with these people at this point besides for what's occurred over the span of the movie. If I'm doing it, Chewbacca's the one that hugs Leia and maybe the camera pans off to the side to Rey who you know, through through her face, we're understanding that she understands what these people have lost and that she's now a part of this. And we could read that on her face, but it should have been Chewie and Leia that hugged. Well, you know, it's it, Han's death in general really is just kind of brushed past. Like there you, you yeah, would think I, that, you know, there would be some kind of some kind of acknowledgement beyond, you know, beyond that small little, you know, you get a brief shot of of Chewie kind of mourning off to the side, but that's really it after, you know, one, once everything's all said and done. I It feels really, it, it's strangely unceremonious. I kind of get it just because the climax of the movie's over with. We're already over two hours, and they still have to deal with Luke, and you don't want to rush that too much. Right. So my guess is that J.J. Abrams didn't want to have, you know, if you put like a, some sort of funeral scene for Han or some sort of big remembrance scene for Han. I think JJ's thinking it's just too much stuff that takes place after the movie has already climaxed. I mean, yeah, that's probably what happened, but it's still just kind of, I don't know. It's like, but again, a hug between Chewie and Leia, I think would have been enough for me. Right. Yeah. That definitely would have helped. So, so that it's weird that Ray comes in and steals it, but you know what? I'm going to forgive it because Daisy Ridley is fucking amazing in this movie. (laughs) I mean, seriously, especially after seeing it the second time today, I can't decide, is it a miracle that they found this girl or is it just the result of hard work and casting directors looking through thousands of audition tapes and JJ looking at hundreds of, audi- I mean, is it hard work or is it a miracle? I don't know because this girl is amazing. I, you know, it's pre- it's pretty much both a miracle of hard work, if you want to put it that way. Okay, we'll go. Because, uh, I mean, she hasn't really done anything else, has she? No, she's no. It's just she has an I, she has an IMDb page. It's got like some British TV or some right. But I mean, it, it, but she's she's pretty much a nobody. She, she's not appeared in a film that anyone has seen. I don't think. Right. You know, so that that's just kind of to have her come out this confident and to to provide a character that, while admittedly somewhat thinly written, have her still feel so fully formed. Uh, that that's the miraculous part. It's I a think. wonderful character, wonderfully played. I love, like I said, the first half of the movie is my favorite half, and the scenes at the beginning, just with her scavenging, trying to get by, trading what she digs up for just the smallest bit of food. I love those scenes. And when it's so it's always in them. it's always the little the little touches with her, like you know, just yeah. the the cute moment of her putting on the the X wing pilot helmet, right. You know, so little little bits like that that just kind of punctuate this character uh, in, you know, in such interesting and endearing I mean, she ways. Sells, right. She's completely likable. She sells her character's loneliness. Uh, once she starts going warrior woman, which I guess starts when she beats those two guys' ass with her staff on Jakku, I totally buy her as a competent fighter. Daisy seems to have fairly good comic timing she doesn't get to be as overtly funny as some of the other characters do but some of the stuff like when uh 
uh, Finn kind of gets knocked down, and then when he comes to and he looks up and he's, he's like, are you okay? And she kind of looks at him like, of course I'm fucking okay. You're the one on your ass. I'm okay. <laughs> so those moments where she gets to do sort of a funny look or she gets a little line, she's wonderful. Well, and, and she can she can go from being, you know, hard and tough on her own. I love the fact that she basically refuses uh, to be a, a damsel in distress. She refuses huh. to be rescued. I love that. But she can go, she can go from that extreme to, you know, being in awe of the myth of Luke Skywalker being real and being just you know giddy at being in the presence of the Han Solo. Right. I almost wonder. Uh, because we're in agreement that the entirety of the new cast is pretty fantastic, right? One hundred percent for I mean, every yeah, every every new character outside of Domhnall Gleeson's General Hux, right, uh, is just great. I could not get enough of them, and especially the primary four, which includes yeah. Boyega, Oscar Isaac, and Adam Driver. I want and I God, I want so much more of of Poe Dameron. I uh, God, I hope I hope he gets an expanded role in the next one. I cannot believe that at first they wanted to uh, to kill him off yeah, at the beginning. You, you, I, that had to have been like not the, not that, just uh, you told me that, but that had to have been before the part was cast, correct? Well, no, was it, that in well, script that, stage or that was that was when when Oscar Isaac went to audition for the part. Basically, uh, Abrams was like, "Yeah, this happens, this happens, and then you die," right. and so he he. You know, it's like, all right, fine. You know, I'll hey, I get to be in Star Wars. I shouldn't complain. I'll take it. Right. Um, and then he's like, hey, you got the part, but now you're in the whole movie. Uh, so yeah, it's it's entire. It's probably a case of Abrams was like, hey, we can't waste this guy. We're gonna expand this. Yeah, his but role even needs. even without that, like just the character at all. Like I can't imagine the assault on uh, Starkiller Base working as well as it does without that central. Right, without him, so, it's a disaster. Central personality. I mean, that just you know, the uh, that was just great. I love the little bit when when him and Finn are breaking out of the base and and they're and, and, and they're immediate best friends. Poe's trying to figure out you know who he is and if he's with the resistance or what's going on and and Poe essentially figures out that he's defecting and he needs and he needs a pilot and there's this smile that like breaks across Oscar Isaac's face he's like you need a pilot Finn's like yeah and he's like oh yeah we're going to do this and i love Oscar Isaac's delivery of that we're going to do this line so much pretty much like any t- any time Oscar Isaac shows up in this movie it just it, it just takes on a, a whole new energy he just he inhabits he inhabits that character so so very well. I love that he's just this straightforward. He's just a straightforward hero. I mean, I don't know that we've ever really had a care like a just an honest to goodness, sincere, non cynical hero like that. The only thing that was missing, you know, from this ace fighter pilot, which it's like, how did George Lucas, who loves World War II movies, miss out on having an ace fighter pilot? In all of you know, in all of his films, you know the only thing that was missing from Poe Dameron was having this flowing red scarf around his neck. You're right. So, so here's my worry: these characters 
are so fantastic. And I would think, you know, no matter where exactly, how much you like the movie, no matter where exactly you would rate it or whatever, I think everyone agrees these characters are wonderful and we want to see what happens to them next. So I almost wonder that they made them too good that by the time Rogue One comes out next year, people are going to be a little like, eh, fuck this movie. I'd rather see what's going on with Rey. Don't you think that's maybe a problem for Lucasfilm? I think it's a little bit of a problem. Because before I saw The Force Awakens, I'd be like, great, give us a a Skywalker installment, uh, you know, one of the main episode installments every couple of years, and we'll fill it in with these in-between movies. And now I don't want the in-between movies as much. I want to be back with these guys. It's almost like the Marvel problem. Right. You know, it's like, oh, who wants this? And then it turns out to be awesome. I mean, I guess. You and, and you could say, well, whether they're making Rogue One or not, it's, it's not like Rogue One's getting in the way of episode right. I mean, we're It's st- going to take it's going to take a year and a half to make it right. anyway. You, right. So. Even even if, you know, <laughs> no, right. no matter what the quality of Rogue One is, it's it's not going to take any less time for I know, episode eight. I, to come I agree. But I. I I still feel like that with the general audiences and especially with kids, we're going to get the rogue one and there's going to be a little of, this is not the star Wars I want to see. And it's because they hit such a home run with the characters in the force awakens, you know, and kind of at the same time, it's like, I, it almost feels like rogue one doesn't have to be, uh, right. it doesn't have to be that major hit. I mean, that's kind of, the, that's almost kind of the point. It's like, it can be a lesser movie, you know, that that's sort of like the whole reason that these exist. So it that can. you can do that. You know, this Rogue One is is not is probably I say probably not going to make the same amount of money. No, as this, it's just not. You don't have to say probably; it's not going to <laughs> strike um, the probably. You know, but you know, but it, but it, but again, it doesn't have to. It's fine. It, so, it is it is what it is. So where are you at with the movie right now? You've seen it twice. I've seen it twice. I saw it twice. In less than 24 hours. Okay, and how, so how are you feeling about it today? I still love it. I It's one of those things where it's like the sum of its parts is fantastic, but I think ultimately it's greater than the sum of its parts. Like, what it accomplishes... One, I think it, it sets out to accomplish precisely what Disney needed it to, right. which was to remind people how much they love Star Wars. Correct. Uh, to, like, to communicate, hey, this is these movies are going to be like the star Wars that you love and to establish, you know, that new generation and all three of those things were accomplished, uh, phenomenally well. Absolutely. Uh, And so this, I, yeah, I, would I have liked to have had certain things done a different way? Sure. Would I like to have had the political situation for once? I want the political situation explained more. Um, (laughs) See, that, you know, that doesn't we, bother we, me that we, much. We spend so much time, you know, complaining about, oh, God, who cares about trade federations and embargoes and, you know, and stuff like that. And it's like, here, okay, yeah, no, tell me a little bit more about, you know, exactly how powerful the First Order is. Do they have more than one Star Destroyer? It certainly doesn't look that way. You know, that kind of a thing. Um, you know, sure, I would have I would have liked to have had more detail along those lines or had you know, certain things smoothed out or questions answered or, or anything like that. But what's there ultimately works like just absolute gangbusters. Uh, it, it is, it, it was interesting watching it a second time because the first time watching it, I watched it in, in IMAX 3d and it's, it was just, it was overloaded enough getting a new star Wars movie that I was excited about. 
Um, in part because it's like I had no idea what was going to happen. Even though, yeah, it's like even though I could tell the beats that it was following, I'm still like I have I don't know where this is going ultimately. Whereas like with the prequels, you're kind of like okay, I know that ultimately that that stupid little kid is going to be Darth Vader. It's going to this inevitable conclusion. There's no way to get away from that. You know, ultimately there was like there was there wasn't really any amount of surprise. Uh, whereas with this, there was still a lot of room. Uh, to be surprised, and it did. Yeah, uh, I was pretty consistent. I was pretty consistently surprised. A part of it's because you're seeing a a new Star Wars movie, and your brain right. kind of short circuits one of the, yeah, the movie starts, and it's, it's like overloaded. One of, so that, one of I, my, I, I actually kind of think that in some ways having those familiar beats and elements helped because it might have been. Right. It honestly might have been too much to take in. Like one of my uh, favorite one of my favorite bits in the movie is the introduction of the Millennium Falcon. Where, right. where, you know, she's like, not not that ship, that ship's junk, and they don't even show it to you. And then the ship they're going to take gets blown up, and she's like, all right, we'll take the junk. The, and it the pan- garbage will right, do. Right, the garbage will do. And it pans over, and it's the Falcon. And it's like, it, I, I, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I didn't see it coming, and I literally cackled, laughed, squealed out loud when that happened. And it's feel I feel like if I would have totally been sound of mind and not so swept up in the movie already i would have been able to i would have been ahead of the movie a little bit there but not not at all i was totally caught off guard when that camera pans right to the falcon and it's a testament to how the movie's playing so well that you're you know you're you're not thinking about it you know you're just swept up for the ride you're not thinking about it like trying to guess what's coming right you know and ultimately as far as as far as oh, it's just a retread of of all the other elements of the original trilogy films. I, that is a valid assessment and a valid critique. Listen, I agree but that it I, had I, I to do that. I think that it's it's one of it's like to me, it's the Creed effect. Right. Creed was Rocky one. It right. had the same, you know, a lot of the same elements, a lot of the same, you know, thematic beats, a lot of the same character moments. Hell, it had some of the same musical cues in the same places. You know, but it still did its own thing. It still had its own resonance. And it still had its own great characters. And so to me, this is, I, I don't think that The Force Awakens is as ultimately as good a movie as Creed. Like, I'd probably have Creed higher in my top ten list for the year uh, than The Force Awakens. You know, but it's it's the same kind of deal to me. You know, it's like, I didn't, you know, I didn't really knock Creed for doing the same thing. I, I agree with what you were saying about, like, pretty much job one for this movie was protecting the franchise like convince convincing people that this is in good hands now it's the star wars you love it's the star wars you remember and we're going to go forward from that and so aping the original trilogy and a new hope so shamelessly it's it's maybe not the worst thing to have happen they're going to have plenty of star wars movies to get experimental with and to go more epic or go more smaller go more different different styles different tones I don't have a huge problem with with them just basically the mission statement on this one being here's what you love about Star Wars. And it was different enough that it really doesn't bother me that much. I mean, I don't like again, I don't like the Starkiller base assault that much. I don't think it's exciting or particularly relevant to the more important things happening in the movie, but it's distinctly Star Wars. Right. And for this film, I think it's fine. Let's. Uh, I want to talk about some problems with the movie that aren't actually problems. <laughs> so they're problems other people have. <laughs> All right. Because I'm, here's some of the complaints I hear. The big one is, well, Phasma sucked, and sort of the waste of Captain Phasma. 
And my thing with that is... That's not her fault. Right. And I don't even know that it's... I mean, it's Phasma kind of, is only... It's a, kind of the writer's fault listen, and Abrams' fault a listen, little bit. But, it's, it's the advertising's fault. And it's right, the exactly. fans' fault. If, if you know nothing about Phasma going into the movie... You're seeing her, and you're thinking, "Oh, neat! The head stormtrooper's silver, and a woman. That's that's right. cool." And then, and then you're never thinking about every, her again. Literally every piece of marketing. Yeah, but the problem is, she was so pumped up in the marketing, and and the fans who are always, you know, looking for, you know, that that cool uniform to attach onto, something right. you can co- something you can cosplay, you know, that they got way too attached to her before we saw her role in the movie. And I just don't really think you can have the complaint that Ophasma sucked. It's like. Yeah, could we have made? Could, is it possible she could have been a better, more well-rounded character with more screen time? Sure, but the movie was jam-packed already. Right. It's, it's two hours and fifteen minutes and jam-packed already. There's only so much you can fit. Well, I so, mean, I, th- I think that there are there were a couple easy ways you could have circumvented that. Uh, there is zero reason why she couldn't have been the stormtrooper that Finn fights during yeah. the raid on on Maz's That's castle. True. Uh, that out like how they didn't do that, I just don't understand. Right. Uh, but then also, you know, have her be part of uh, the Tie Squadron that goes out uh, during the Star Killer base assault. Right. I guess it's a valid complaint that she's really useless at the end, where you know at gunpoint they have her turn the shields down, and she doesn't even really put up much of a fight. She's like, okay, you're not going to get away with this shields down. But um. I mean, what, I, what, was, what, was, what was she supposed to do, though? Like, right. I, she literally I had a gunder. Head. I, I just seriously, I, I just think it's too much expectation going in, and you can't, uh, yeah. and, and you can't blame the movie for it. Absolutely. And uh, to a lesser degree, uh, from like the hardcore film nerd community, uh, the guys from the raid, I've heard some complaints that. Ugh, they they didn't use the guys from the raid properly. That they barely got any screen time. They didn't get to do anything cool. They just showed if it up. Was, if it was anyone other than the dudes from the raid, <laughs> right. we wouldn't be saying this. Exactly. But, I mean, it, it is a little strange. It's yeah, like no, it's not. Why str- you, no. But why would you cast it's those not strange. specifically? Because ninety nine percent of the audience is going to have no idea who those guys are. Right. I know. So and why? because it's fucking Star Wars, so they can get anybody they want to play those parts. They're going to say yes. So JJ thinks one day, hey, let's get the guys from the raid. I, but I, I guess it's, I don't know. It's, it's not. Like it's not a problem. I mean, you can't. Right, you it, can't it, legit complain. Oh, that sucked because right, they didn't give the raid guys enough to do. It's, it's no, not it's, a problem. It's, it's more just kind of like it's just odd to me. Okay, but I hear but people like, complaining like about guys, it. I've seen those, complaints about it from right, the hardcore. But I mean, like, those guys, they're not. They're not good actors. Right. You know, they they do one thing well. They kick ass extremely well. So it's just like it's just kind of like okay, well, why not get like some character actors or something, you know? If all you're gonna have them do is stand in a in a hallway. I mean, I guess, but you know, JJ liked the raid. They're they're listen, they're Asian, so it at least brings some diversity into the movie as far as what these guys look like. It's certainly true. It's certainly true. It's just it kind of cracks me up when people complain about that. and this, on a slightly different tangent, but here's something else that's been driving me crazy reading Twitter and Facebook and stuff for the last day, day and a half. Not everything in this movie needs answered in a future film. Right. Not, not every single mystery that The Force Awakens lays out needs to be addressed at a later point. And Stu, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to school some people on the difference between 
a mystery that's important enough to need solved and a mystery that's not important enough to need solved. For example, Ray's lineage, why the Force is so drawn to her, why the Force seems to be trying to channel itself through her, that we're going to need answered in a later movie. <laughs> Snoke, who he is, what his deal is, how how all of a sudden there's this this supreme being who's all-powerful on the dark side of the Force, we're going to need that answered. We're going to need to know his backstory. But who Max von Sydow is playing at the beginning of this film, we don't need to know. It's fine. I've already seen people saying, oh, well, they've got to address who Max von Sydow was playing. No, they don't. He's an old friend of the Republic. He's an old friend of Leia's. It's fine. They don't need to answer that. I have a friend who's apoplectic that Luke's lightsaber magically shows up in Maz Katana's fortress. Oh, how, did, how did it get there? How That should be impossible. It fell at Cloud City. It's in the void. I, we don't need that explained. <laughs> you see what I'm saying, Stu? Do you, you understand what I'm getting at? No, I, absolutely. That, you know, <laughs> uh, there's just the, 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 the You can be is, too is, nitpicky. <laughs> right. Well, the lightsaber... See, this is part of the problem when you have... 30 years, 30 plus years of extended universe stories. Because when you go on for that long doing extended universe stuff, you have to go into the backstory of literally everyone. When just about every background character in Jabba's Palace got a short story written Well, this about. is why I never liked EU stuff and you know, not too interested well, in the new but, EU but that's stuff. But that's what I'm talking I about. Know, like fa- Fandom has become accustomed to having every minute detail written out in technical journals and explained in books and comic books and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and to where they think that they have to have it. And it's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You literally don't. Uh, like I told my friend, you know what? Here, you, here's what happened. This is all you need to tell yourself. Luke's lightsaber, it fell down into that you know, that shoot, that chasm in the Empire Strikes Back. It didn't go all the way out with Luke. It didn't necessarily go all the way into space. We don't know where the lightsaber ended up. It's sitting down in there. Look, there's a lot of endless voids and shoots and things in the Star Wars universe. For some reason, every structure they build has some giant bottomless pit in the middle of it. Stu, somebody's got to... With no railing. With no railing. (laughs) Stu, once a year, once every two years, somebody's got to clean those things. There's got to be a janitor crew that goes down there, cleans out all those chutes. Someone on Cloud City, six months after Empire, went down there, was cleaning out the chutes, found the lightsaber. He sold it on the black market. It got sold to someone who knew it was a Jedi weapon who sold it to Maz. End of story. End of story. We don't, we don't need to devote ten minutes of Episode Eight to explaining this. We really, really don't. Okay, so where are you ranking this? Because before this movie opened, I think the safe place to put the... I think most people had a sense, especially after all the trailers were out, that it was that it was going to be good. I think most people were expecting a good movie. So I think the kind of over-under was set at Return of the Jedi. Better than Return of the Jedi or worse than... I think everybody assumed it was going to be better than the prequels, but could it be better than Return of the Jedi? Which, by all accounts, is the lesser film of the original trilogy, although I personally still like, love it a lot. Do you, do you think it reached those heights? Oh, think- absolutely. I, I mean, my, I, I put it currently, like, Empire is still my favorite. Uh, then A New Hope. Uh, and then Force Awakens, then Jedi. Okay. I would not have it in front of Jedi. I think it fits comfortably between the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. I think it's closer to the original trilogy than the prequel trilogy. 
if if Jedi um, was an overall stronger film, because I think the the highest highs of Jedi are yeah. better are better than the highest highhs of Force Awakens for sure. But I think, not that I, can't even be debated. I don't think. But I but I think that as an overall product, I will I will be going back to to revisit Force Awakens far more often than I do Return of the Jedi. Well. Uh, two things to say about that. One, I really like, really like Return of the Jedi. So much so that I think it's pretty much underrated in this day and age where a lot of people slag on it. Um, best lightsaber fight in the trilogy. The original... Uh, best lightsaber fight in the saga. Um, possibly best space battle in the saga. Yeah, I mean, the Ewoks are a little iffy, but I don't think... The they, e- okay, the Ewoks... I don't think, uh, the, I don't think the Ewoks take up as much screen time as people think they do, honestly, they, in that film. They don't, but they're that horrible. They're that horrible. Yeah, Harrison, Ford, they're that horrible. Harrison Ford is phoning it in. I don't agree with and, that either. And the entire Jabba sequence is... It just drags on. It drags I, the film down. I disagree. I love the Jabba sequence. It has sequence. good stuff. The Jabba don't, sequence don't... is so... It's so weird up until they get onto the skiff, which I like the weirdness, and then the skiff stuff is just crazy exciting. Like, don't don't get me wrong. It's good contained unto itself. As a prologue, it's like, this could be used doing so many other better, more interesting things and, with this final, uh, quote-unquote, final installment. And then the other thing is people talk about all... Han Solo is so neutered and so different in Return of the Jedi. He's not. He's not. I, he's I don't not, agree with that either. I mean, first he's of all, not neutered or different. Okay. Ford. Ford is bored. Uh, uh, Harrison Ford is bored, and you can see it on his face. Maybe a little, but that's not. Uh, there's a lot of people who complain that the character is neutered from a script level on that film, which I don't agree with. First of all, he's suffering from hibernation sickness and all that stuff in the beginning of the film. And then as it gets toward the last... It lasts for like two minutes, though. Listen, when it gets to the last... Well, all the way out into the skiff, and he's recovering his eyesight and stuff. But, I mean, he's still still the brash guy. He's still, you know, shooting to save Lando from the Sarlacc's tentacle, even when he's half-blind. He's threatening to kill Ewoks later in the movie. He's barking at 3PO later in the film. He's He's still solo to me in Return of the Jedi. So, I don't know. People Complaints people have that film, I don't really get. I think it's not as good as A New Hope. I mean, if A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back are perfect movies, which they are, Return of the Jedi is just a slight notch down. And then I would say The Force Awakens is a slight notch down from that. But, um, again, I, it's, it's listen, it's going to be eminently rewatchable. That was one thing I was looking forward to when I saw it a second time. Well... Am I going to be looking at my watch at any point? Am I going to get bored, you know, at any point during this movie, especially the Starkiller base assault? And I didn't. I wasn't bored at all. The movie flies. Well, that, that that's one of the things that, that I think is unassailable about this movie. It moves like a freight train. Yeah, it does. J.J. Abrams has never had a problem with pacing, though. I think all of his movies are pretty... With the exception of maybe Super 8, the rest of his films are paced excellently. Even Into Darkness is paced fantastically. I don't know. I pushed most of that movie out of my mind. Probably wise. Probably wise. <laughs> so, uh, how much Luke do you think we're going to get in the next installment in Episode Eight? I think the next Luke is going to be the focus of the next one, the way that Han was the focus okay, of this one. That was actually my que- was going to be or my at least question. It, so I you think as much Han as we got in the Force Awakens, we'll get that much Luke in Episode Eight? See, I'm not sure we will. I hope we do, but I'm not sure we will. I th- I think that we will. I hope because, we I, I think in part because everybody, like, people were ravenous for Luke mm-hmm. 
Like, I mean, any, almost any time, I mean, I would talk about the movie or, you know, or post about it as, oh, oh where's Luke? You know, every, like everybody wants wants to see Luke and find out what he's been doing and all that kind of stuff. And especially after that, uh, that cliffhanger of an ending, people are just going to be ravenous for some Luke Skywalker. I, uh, uh, I, I think that, I think that he'll be as integral to the story as Han was here. I hope you're right. I, I will say, I don't, I don't think it'll be quite as much just because it's obvious that, uh, that Kasdan and Abrams wrote as much Han as possible into this movie knowing that it would be his last, more or less. Right. You know, so I, it probably won't be 100% uh, equal screen time. But I think his importance will be uh, equivalent. I read two thoughts. One, I really like how the scene with Luke at the end, with him and Ray on top of that hill on the island, I could easily see a version of that scene where it's only like 20 seconds long, where she goes up, holds out the saber, he turns around, the slow zoom in Luke's face, and it sort of cuts to directed by J.J. Abrams. I like that they really let that scene breathe a little bit, and it cuts from Ray to Luke, and he pulls the hood down, and back to Ray, zoom in on Ray, back to Luke, and then the big wide shot where it circles around them. I love that they really sell the epicness of that meeting, you know, and, 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 and let it go longer than 10 seconds. Right. My other thought is, I mean, your best guess right now, why is Rey so powerful in the Force? The most obvious reason is that she's Luke's kid. Right, and that's what I'm getting at. And because that's the most obvious, I hope they go a different direction. I will be okay with it if they make her Luke's kid. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm with you in that I, I kind of hope that they do something less obvious. Uh, uh, I, like, I, I agree with you. If the movie's good enough, they can make that work. And, you know, it makes the most sense. It's the most logical choice right now. Right. The most logical thing for them to reveal. But if The Force Awakens was largely modeled on the original Star Wars, the second one's going to be maybe a little bit modeled on Empire Strikes Back, and that means some sort of major revelation that's going to blow our mind. Not saying it needs to have something that lives up to what happens in Empire, but... Right. You know, if it's just well, Ray's Luke's kid, and that's what everybody had predicting since the second they walked out of the theater for The Force Awakens, that's a little bit of a letdown. It's a little bit of, uh, maybe maybe go in a slightly different direction. Any last-minute thoughts, Stu, before we call this an episode? I, I want to go see it again, ultimately. I just, you know, I want to watch this thing again, which is the biggest compliment yeah, that they, I can pay to it. I agree. I want to keep watching it. And I can't wait to see the next one. So, I mean, they really did... I mean, even though I don't think it's a perfect movie, it it really lived up to every expectation. And, you know, can't give it more credit than that, right? That, that's honestly about all you can ask for. All right. Stuart Smith, pleasure chatting with you as always. Everyone at home, thanks for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at CultSpark. Throw us a like on our Facebook page. Find us at iTunes. And we'll be back soon.